Uh, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Ryan. I serve here uh, as one of the pastors and want to let you know we're really, really glad uh, that you're here with us this morning. Uh, if you are new, we've been walking through a series in 1 Corinthians. And so if you've got a Bible, you can make your way to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you've uh, had to move around a bunch, and I know most of you have, I I hope you've had the joy of finding in that new place that you moved to, that restaurant in that place that really becomes your spot that you can't imagine life in that place, that city, uh, without. Uh, For us, me and my wife, that place is El Burrito. Uh, Now, uh, I will be the first to tell you that there are better restaurants in Fayetteville like Fowler's. Uh, There are places that are more kind of hole in the wall and marked off like Maryville's. And, uh, you know, like, I think if you were to go to, uh, go to El Burrito, it wouldn't change your life like going to Fowler's would. Uh, it's really not that flashy. It doesn't even stand on its own. It's in a strip mall right next to a food lion. Uh, and so not that impressive, but and it's the best Mexican food that we've had in town. It's really close to our house, and uh, it, it just always kind of hits the spot. And so... Uh, over the past few years that we've lived here, we've gone there so much that it's really become kind of that uh, if we're out of food and don't want to go to the store, or we just want to go out somewhere, El Burrito is usually at the top of the list as where uh, we're going to go. It's really become almost indispensable to us. I, I really can't imagine our life in Fayetteville without it. So we've been in this series in 1 Corinthians, walking through the book, and we moved into a section where Paul's beginning to talk about spiritual gifts and how God has given each of us in the church who are followers of Jesus gifts to build up and serve the body with. And so Paul introduced that last week in chapter 12 and told us that all of us have been given gifts to serve the church. Here in the back half of chapter 12, Paul is going to tell us that we've been given different and diverse gifts to build up the body. And those gifts that we might think uh, are are not as flashy and not as impressive and not as important are actually uh, God has made it so that they're indispensable, that we can't live our life as a church without them, that that every gift matters and we need everybody to be using their gift. Ultimately, what, what God is going to tell us this morning is that we should strive to use the gifts that God has given us to to build up and serve uh, His church. And so let's see this together in the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll start in verse 12, and we're going to read through uh, the end of the chapter. And so starting in verse 12, the very Word of God to us today speaks to us like this. Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, 
the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So the first thing we see in this text uh, is that you have a gift and we need you to use it. So Paul begins to build out this analogy of the body and its members, the body and its parts. When you hear members in this text, think parts, like parts of your body. And so Paul says, even though you have many different parts that make up your body, you've got hands and feet and legs and uh, eyes and ears, they all come together to make one body. And even with all of those different parts, it's still one body. And Paul says it's the same way with Christ. Now what's interesting about that is he doesn't say what we would expect him to say there, which is just as uh, it's many parts but one body, so it is with the church. Instead in verse 12, he says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Jesus. Look, this is showing us that part of our fundamental identity as a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and belong to Jesus, is to belong to His church, to be a part of Christ's body. To belong to Jesus is to belong to His body. And so I said it a few weeks ago, but I'll just say it again. This sort of you and Jesus spirituality apart from life in a local church really just does not exist uh, because you are part of the body of which Jesus is the head. To follow Jesus is to play your part in building up His body. In fact, you actually can't follow most of the commandments in the New Testament apart from life in the local church and apart from life in the body because most of the commandments in the New Testament are about how we're supposed to love one another and pray for one another and serve one another and care for one another. Look, one of the constraints you put on your life when you became a Christian, and even more so if you're a partner here, because when you became a partner, you explicitly covenanted and committed yourself to doing this, is that a major part of your life is now to be dedicated to serving and building up and caring for the members of the church. Uh, this is what God has called you to do in Jesus. You are your brother and sister's keeper. And the good news is that if Jesus has saved you and He's made you a part of His body and He's called you to serve and build up His body, He's also given you a gift to do that. Verse 13 tells us that all of us have been baptized by the Spirit into Christ's body and have been given gifts of the Spirit to build up the body. Look again at what Paul says in verse 7 of chapter 12. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so if you've trusted in Jesus, you've been made a part of His body, you have the Spirit, and the Spirit has gifted you to help serve and build up the church. And what Paul tells us in this passage is that we've been given different and diverse gifts, and that's a really good thing. 
This is the goodness and kindness of God to give us diverse gifts because in Paul's analogy, uh, what would a body be if it was all ears? What would a body be if it was all feet? What would a body be if it was only a mouth? Never listen to anybody and would never stop talking. It would not be good, right? We don't want that. It's good that God did this. But what it's really easy for all of us to do is to do what Paul says here and to think, well, well, I'm an eye, I'm not an ear, so my gift just isn't as important, or I'm just a foot, I'm not a mouth, so the church really doesn't need me. Uh, it's really easy to think that all the important gifts in the church are, are all the ones that we don't have, and we start to compare ourselves to others and feel lesser and feel like God has kind of skimmed out on us. Uh, the church in America has really valued platform type gifts, gifts, gifts that get you up front here on a Sunday morning, like teaching and preaching and leading and singing. And so it's really easy to feel like if you don't have one of those gifts, uh, that you just don't matter as much in the church. And, but I'll, I'll tell you, as somebody who has the gift of teaching, who has a gift that puts me up front here on Sunday mornings, uh, it's really easy for me to do the same thing and compare myself to others and, and be jealous over gifts that I don't have and feel like I'm lesser. Uh, I don't have the gift of evangelism, and I deeply wish uh, that I did. Uh, I watch the way that some of you just have such a sort of natural ease and ability to build relationships with people who are far from Jesus and share the good news of the gospel with them and then I wish I had the gift to do that with that sort of natural ease and ability. Evangelism comes with so much difficulty for me. My wife has such a gift for hospitality. Many of you know this and could testify to this, how you've been served by her gift for hospitality. She just has such a gift to welcome people and make people feel seen and cared for and heard and loved. And, and man, I, I just don't. Like, I, I'm kind of socially awkward, can't really carry on a conversation. Uh, I really wish I had that gift of hospitality to make people feel welcome, uh, and I just don't. Uh, but, but what happens when we do that, when we start to compare ourselves to others who have different gifts and start to feel like we're lesser and we're not a, as gifted and not as important, is that we neglect to actually use our gifts for the good of the body. We sit back in the crowd when God has called us to step in and play. We, think, we forget that it takes all of the different instruments to play a symphony and we neglect to play our part and the church suffers for it. And again, it's God's kindness to give us different gifts to make us different parts of the body so that we can be a healthy body that grows. We need eyes. We need ears. We need mouths. We need hands. We need all of these different things of, to build up the body. Like you have a gift and we need you to use it. We're going to go without a hand or without a heart as a church. Because where Paul takes this analogy next in verse 21 is because he's designed it this way, because we're one body, the eye can't say to the ears, hey, we don't need you here. Uh, and the mouth can't say to the feet, take a walk. You guys aren't needed here. You see what I did there? Uh, but... Uh, he goes on to say that the parts of the body, the parts that we might think just aren't as impressive and aren't as flashy and aren't as important, God has made it so that those gifts are indispensable, so that we can't live without those. That those are actually essential so that we wouldn't divide from one another. Every part of the body is needed for the body to be healthy, and the things that we might think are less essential and less flashy are actually some of the most necessary for life. I mean, think about it. As difficult as it might be, 
You can live your life without eyes and without hands, but you can't live without a heart or without a liver, without a lot of your organs. The, the less visible stuff is what's actually essential. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was this incredible preacher in England uh, in the 1800s. He was basically world-renowned at the time when he was preaching. He had a church of over 5,000 people, could preach to all of those people without a microphone, without uh, artificial amplification, and uh, man, just a lot of crazy stories out of his ministry. There was one time that he was guest preaching at this concert hall that sat over 20,000 people, and again, no microphones, and so before he goes to preach this, he's in that concert hall testing out the acoustics in the room, and he thinks he's by himself, and so he just starts quoting scripture, and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what he didn't know is that there was a man up in the rafters working on the roof, and that man heard Spurgeon say that verse, and he got convicted about it. He went home and ended up getting converted, like he got saved. He put his faith and trust in Jesus. So just wild stuff. Spurgeon could preach, and, and God greatly used him, and he saw many people come to faith in his ministry. But when people would ask him, what do you think makes you so effective? Or why have you seen so much fruit in your ministry? Do you know what he would always tell people? He said, it's because my people pray for me. If there's any secret, that's the secret. Uh, in his church, they had this room under the sanctuary, under the auditorium called the boiler room, where uh, every service, they would have like a hundred people in this room praying for the service, praying that people would come to faith in Jesus, praying that God would use the message and would use the elements of the service to stir people's faith towards Jesus, uh, and they'd continue to pray every time a service like this was going on. Now, look, we don't know the names of any of those people who prayed in the boiler room. They weren't forward-facing. People aren't going to write biographies about them like they have about Spurgeon, but they were the indispensable part of God being at work in that church. Listen, without that, I, I promise you, we never would have heard of Spurgeon. That's what Paul is saying here. It's these less visible gifts of people who just use their gifts to faithfully pray for others and encourage others and serve others in ways that so often go unnoticed that are actually where God is doing some of his most important work in the church. That's the heart and the lifeblood uh, of the church that's pumping life and blood into the church. And if those things stop working, the church body does too. But look, I, I don't know that we actually believe that. Um, as you all well know, uh, I'm a massive OU football fan, and uh, being on the other side of the country means that I don't get to go to games uh, during the season. Uh, but I do try to watch every game during the season, and uh, I'm invested. I'm dedicated. Like, I sacrifice things. I move other things around to make sure that I can watch the games during the season. And again, I'm heavily invested. I'm yelling at my TV. I'm celebrating uh, I'm nervous just like the players are nervous. If the game is tight and intense, I'm sweating it out sometimes just as much as the players are. You know, I'm doing everything I can uh, from my couch to try to will the team to victory. Uh, and Evan Anthony will always joke with me the next day about how, man, like you really played hard yesterday. You really left it all out on the field. Uh, and, and the reason that joke works is because it just highlights, like, I didn't do anything to contribute to the team. Right? For, for as invested of a fan as I am, no matter how loud I might yell at my TV, no matter how much I might celebrate, no matter how much I might sweat and get nervous, 
uh, the reality is that what I'm doing doesn't affect how that game is played at all. Right? Like, I'm not on the team, and I'm a totally unnecessary part of the equation. I think that's how a lot of us naturally think about the church. I think that's most of us fall into the habit of thinking, well, you know, someone's going to preach whether I'm there or not. Someone's going to lead us in singing whether I'm there or not. Someone's going to serve in Veritas Kids whether I'm there or not. And so it really doesn't matter if I'm there or not. I mean, I'm just coming to sit in a seat and people aren't going to miss me if I'm not there anyway. They don't really need me. What this passage is saying, that's wrong. You're not just coming to sit in a seat and that's not what the church is. This passage is saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not somebody watching on the sidelines or from your couch. You're on the team. You're an integral and indispensable part of the team. You've been gifted by the Spirit to serve the body and we need you to use your gift to strengthen the body or the church body is not going to be all that God desires it to be. And so I want to challenge you. We're going to talk about specific spiritual gifts in a second and how you can determine yours. But but before that, I want us to first sit with the weight of what Paul is calling us to in this part of the passage. And so look, like first, uh, don't think if I'm not serving on a service team on Sunday, then I'm not really needed. No, Paul's saying that you're always needed and indispensable. You actually don't ever get a Sunday off of serving because even when you're not serving on a service team, you're still called by God to come and encourage others and pray for others and care for others and seek to build others up on a Sunday. And so I want you to actually be strategic about this. Make a tangible plan for how you're going to serve people on Sundays. I'm serious. Like, think about it. Actually put forethought into it. Instead of, I'm going to show up late once things have started and then I'm going to dip out before the announcements so that I don't have to talk to anybody. Think about, like, make a tangible plan for, and who am I going to try to encourage this week? Who am I going to seek to pray for? Who am I going to get to try to know a little bit better and meet and welcome them into the family? Who am I going to take communion with? Who am I going to seek to build up? God, how can you use me to bless and build up others here in the church? Do the same thing at community group. And I'll ask you, like, do you ever pray for the Sunday gathering? Do you ever pray for your community group and people in your community group? And I'm not just talking about when you break up for prayer on the night when you meet together. Do you come on Sundays, and I'm talking especially on Sundays when you're not serving on a team, do you come on Sundays with this expectation of, God's calling me. He's wanting to use me to serve and build up and bless others here in the church. Paul's going to tell us in chapter 14 that if we are eager, if we want to see more of the Spirit actively at work here in our church, then we should strive to excel in building up the church. I mean, I just dream about what it would be like if we all adopted this posture of I'm coming on Sundays not just to receive, but to serve, to be poured out so that my brothers and sisters here at the church can be built up and encouraged in Jesus. And we're all looking for specific ways that we can do that on a Sunday, how we can talk to one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and serve one another. Again, Paul is saying it's those less visible, less flashy acts of service and using of gifts to do so that are really the heart and lifeblood of a church 
And God has structured it this way because it reflects the gospel. Jesus did not save us through an impressive display of power or charisma, but through a cross. He lived a humble, faithful life in anonymity and then died the most shameful and humiliating death possible. But His resurrection shows us that it was actually what was most beautiful and glorious. That it was actually what was the most incredible and indispensable way of saving us. And so now, because Jesus has saved us and has shown us that real life and flourishing is to be found not in getting others to serve you, but in laying your life down and serving others, we want to walk in His footsteps. We want to be like Him. We want to serve as we have been served by Him. And so look, you have a gift and we need you to use it. And so let's talk next about how you determine your gift to serve the body. Look at verse 27 again with me. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all, do all work miracles? Do all possess gift of gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And so Paul lays out this list of gifts here, and uh, I don't think this list is exhaustive. It, It doesn't seem like any of the lists in the New Testament are meant to be exhaustive of every spiritual gift, but he lays out this list and he says that in this, uh, apostles, prophets, and teachers are first, second, and third. Now, when he says that, he's not saying that these are better and more, or more important. Uh, he's talking about what's chronologically foundational. What I mean by that is just what comes first in time and what's foundational for the church to get its start. And so, think about it. Without apostles and prophets and teachers, you don't have anybody who can start a church and then continue to proclaim the gospel in it. And so, these are foundational gifts that give the church its foundation and its start, and then... Paul moves to list some of these other gifts, and then he ends with these rhetorical questions to show us uh, that not everybody has every gift. The answer to these questions, obviously, is no. Not all are prophets. Not all are apostles. Not everybody speaks uh, in tongues. But then he ends by telling us to earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, when he says that, he's talking about gifts that build up the church, And and, you know, the Corinthians are obsessed with speaking in tongues, this kind of flashy evidence and display of what they think is the power of the Spirit at work. But Paul's going to tell us in chapter 14, if you speak in tongues in the church and you don't have anybody who can interpret, you're not building others in the church up, you're just building up yourself. And, And so more on that in chapter 14, but what Paul wants us to do here is to strive to grow uh, in having and using our gifts that are going to build up the church. Paul wants us to earnestly, he tells us in chapter 14, that's intensely desire to have and use the gifts of the Spirit to build up the church. And so let's talk first about what are some of the specific spiritual gifts that God might give us, and then second, how do you determine what your spiritual gifts are? Uh, But before we do that, let me lay a few points in place. One, Every follower of Jesus has at least one spiritual gift, usually more, uh, but every follower of Jesus has been given at least one spiritual gift to serve uh, the body with. Two, 
just because you don't have the gift for something doesn't mean that you're not still called to do it when it's a basic command in Scripture. And, and so like using the excuse of, well, I don't have that gift is not an excuse to be able to get you out of following that command. And so for example, uh, I can't say, well, I don't have the gift of hospitality, so I don't have to show hospitality to people, even though the Bible explicitly commands me to. You can't say, well, I've got the gift of teaching, so I don't have to serve people. Like, no, that's not how it works. Uh, spiritual gifts in these areas are a supernatural empowerment from God. And so, yeah, somebody who has that gift to do that thing is probably going to do that thing, whatever it is, whether it's encouragement or exhortation uh, or teaching or serving, they're probably going to do it better than you do if you don't have that gift. But that doesn't mean that you just get to get out of following basic commands. And three, uh, I'll just remind you, there are two kind of broad positions on the spectrum when it comes to what have been called the more kind of miraculous sign gifts. Gifts of prophecy and tongues and miracles and gifts of healing. Uh, there's, so one of those positions is cessationism. Cessationists believe that those sign gifts and those miraculous gifts have ceased operating in the same way now that the New Testament is done being written. So they would say that those gifts of miracles and prophecy and healing in tongues served to confirm the advance of the gospel and the witness of the gospel while the New Testament was still being written. But now that the New Testament is done being written, those gifts have ceased operating in the same way. So they don't think that God doesn't still work in those ways. It's not that they think that God doesn't work miracles or heal or do things like that any longer. Uh, but it's that we shouldn't expect to see people in the church who have these gifts of prophecy and tongues and healing uh, and miracles in the same way today that we saw in the New Testament. A continuationist, on the other hand, which is where we land as leaders, what we believe as leaders, believe that these gifts continue in the life of the church, and we should expect to see people in the church who have been given these gifts of tongues and prophecy and healing uh, and miracles. Now, I'll tell you, this is an open-handed issue. This is not essential for salvation where you land on this. And so if you're a cessationist, like we love you. You're welcome here. We want you to be here. We're glad that you're here. We're not going to divide over this because uh, that's what the Corinthians are doing and that's why Paul is rebuking them uh, so often throughout this book. We're not going to divide over this open-handed issue. And I also want to tell you and confess to you that man, as leaders, even though we would call ourselves continuationists, uh, we have not led you well to pursue the gifts in the way that Paul is calling us to pursue the gifts here. And so, and I want to apologize for that. I'm sorry for that. And, and I also want to tell you, I have been praying that uh, these next few weeks, as we spend our time in chapters 12 through 14, uh, that that would be a really helpful corrective in that, and that God would use this in the life of our church, and that we would come out of these weeks eager to see the Spirit more visibly and actively at work in the church, eager to use our gifts to build up others here in the church, eager to strive to grow in them. You know, it's not just kind of charismatic chaos. Like the Bible gives us instructions on how we're supposed to use and pursue these gifts, and we want to heed that, and we want to grow in that and pursue them. Okay, so what are some of the spiritual gifts, some of the specific gifts that you might be gifted with? Well, I'm going to run through a list of them, 21 of them uh, to be exact. Uh, I'll get you out before noon, I think. Uh, but uh, these have come up on the screen, and we're going to run through these. So let me list a few of these. First, the gift of hospitality. 
Uh, the gift of hospitality is the gift to make people feel welcome and seen and cared for and loved and at home. It's this gift to welcome people in in a way that reflects the heart of God. A gift of evangelism. This is the gift to uh, effectively and somewhat naturally be able to share your faith in Jesus and the good news of Jesus with people who are not yet followers of Jesus. A gift of faith. This is different from just general faith. All of us are supposed to have saving faith in Jesus. This is not what the gift of faith is. The gift of faith is a a gift to believe God for something specific and trust Him to come through for that and be able to boldly ask for that in prayer. So think of Jesus talking about faith that moves mountains in the Gospels. This is specific faith for a specific situation, a supernaturally empowered ability to trust God to come through on this Uh, And it's also an ability to rally other people around that faith, to encourage them with your own faith for God to act in this specific way. A gift of tongues. This is the ability, God-given ability, to speak a language that was previously unknown to you as the speaker, a language you didn't know or learn. Uh, The interpretation of tongues is just what it says. It's the ability to interpret uh, a language. Gift of service. This is the ability to practically serve and meet needs in the church in sort of a super empowered way. Like again, we're all called to serve, but you know you have the gift of service if when you serve, things just seem to get done. They just seem to get accomplished in a way that they don't when other people step into that. Uh, Gift of discernment, what Paul calls the distinguishing of spirits. This is the gift to be able to discern between true and false teaching. Teaching that comes from God uh, versus teaching that's demonic. Uh, The gift of teaching. This is the gift and the ability to help people clearly understand and apply the Bible to their lives. Now the gift of helping. Think of gifts of helping as a lot of the work that the deacons in the church do. It's this a little bit distinguished from service in the sense of, here's this practical church or this area of ministry that our church needs to meet. I'm going to find a way to meet it. I'm going to see to it that this gets accomplished. A gift of administration. This is the gift and the ability to nail down systems and structures, the ability to cross your T's and dot your I's, to do all the really uh, not glamorous organizational and managerial work that just every church needs to be all that God has called it to be and to bring order out of chaos. Now the gift of healing. This is the gift of physical, mental, or emotional healing given by God through the prayers of a believer. So I want to demystify this. This is not like if somebody has the gift of healing, they're not going to be able to walk up to you, put their hand on you, say, be healed, uh, and instantly you're healed. Now this happens, it's a gift by God that happens through the prayers of a believer and often the repeated prayers of a believer. So an example of this, think of somebody who has uh, cancer or a terminal illness and they've been going to the doctor and, and that tumor is there every time uh, it shows up on the scan and then people pray for them in the church and then they go back, and that tumor is just gone. Like, the doctors can't explain it. It was there. Now it's not. And the doctors have no explanation for what happened in between. That's the gift of healing at work. There's the gift of miracles. This is the gift of miraculous instances of God's power, again, being given by God through the prayers of a believer. And so similar to healing, it's this sort of unexplainable move of God. How are we doing? I think we're about halfway through. Uh, the gift of uh, apostleship. 
So there's the office of apostle, which has ceased. No new people are filling the office of apostle, but there's also the gift of apostle and apostleship, uh, which is the ability to start new works and new initiatives and new ministries for the glory of God and the good of God's church. Think of church planners here as someone who often has the, an apostolic type of gifting. So for example, Paul had both the gift and the office of apostleship. He would travel and start new churches, but he wouldn't stay there and pastor them. He would continue going on to start another new church in another area. Now, uh, my opinion, Bible's over here, this is my opinion, I, I think that it is really, really, really unhelpful and really, really, really unwise to call people apostles today uh, because this office has ceased. No one's filling the office of apostle today. But with that said, that doesn't mean that there's not still the gift of apostleship that God is giving to both men and women. This gift to be able to start new works and new initiatives and new ministries for the glory of God and the good of the church. Now, the gift of words of knowledge or words of wisdom, what Paul calls utterances of knowledge and wisdom. These are a little bit distinct from one another. Words of wisdom is more of being able to hear about a situation and then being able to speak wise counsel into that situation. A word of knowledge is when God gives you supernatural insight into someone that, that you wouldn't have any reason to know, that they didn't tell you. Uh, so maybe, for example, maybe last week someone was in the dark night of the soul and they didn't tell anybody that they were going through that, but you just have this sort of sense of like, man, I, I, I need to encourage them Sunday. I need to... Uh, make sure that they hear this and you're able to speak a word that's exactly what they needed to hear. Uh, the gift of giving. Yes, this is actually listed as a spiritual gift in the New Testament, in Romans 12. Uh, the gift of giving is the gift and the ability to be able to give of your talents and your time and your money uh, in a way that, that goes above and beyond what others normally do. A gift of leadership. This is the ability to clearly see where the church needs to go and be able to lead people towards a healthy vision and a healthy destination. Uh, the gift of shepherding. This is the ability to practically care for people and minister the heart of Jesus to them. And so like apostle, this is both a gift and an office. And unlike apostle, this office is still being filled today. And so we shouldn't expect that the only people in the church who have the gift of shepherding are our elders. And many of you, both men and women, have this gift. And maybe if, even if you don't know it, you exercise it in places like your community group. People in your community group would say that they feel incredibly loved and cared for by you and shepherded like they're growing in Jesus because of your influence on their life. That's the gift of shepherding at work. And the gift of exhortation. This is the ability to challenge and encourage people towards action in following Jesus. Someone who has the gift of exhortations uh, able to uh, talk about like, hey, here's where Jesus wants us to go, and you listen to them, and, and when they're done, you're like, okay, where do I sign up? You just tell me how high, I'm ready to jump. Like, it's this God-given ability to be able to encourage and challenge people towards a deeper pursuit in Jesus in a, in a persuasive way. A gift of mercy. This is compassion towards the broken broken and the hurting and the poor and the marginalized. Uh, it's the ability to see and meet their needs in a way that, that other people often overlook. And last one, you made it through. We did it. Here we go. The gift of prophecy. A prophecy is a God-given word of encouragement and building up for somebody. 
Chapter 14 calls it a revelation, which means God supernaturally and in some sense spontaneously gives it to you. It's different from teaching and preaching, uh, which is based off of interpreting and proclaiming a text of Scripture. And so we're going to cover this more in chapter 14. We'll have a whole sermon on prophecy. Uh, But prophecy is this sense of, I feel like God may have given me this word or this picture to encourage you with, and so I I don't know exactly what this might mean for you, but I'm going to share it with you, uh, and you wrestle with it in prayer. Now, I know for some of us, the subjectivity in that is going to keep us away from it because it just feels really mushy uh, and muddy and unclear, so we're not going to pursue it. Uh, I'll, I'll confess, that's been my impulse in the past. But I'll tell you, that's a bad impulse because Paul tells us in chapter 14, we should earnestly desire to prophesy. We should intensely ask God for this gift. Now, I think that most of us have this. I think that a lot of us have this gift and we we just don't use it. How often does someone from church come to your mind and you you have this sense of like, man, I I really need to encourage them with this. So this specific verse came to mind uh, for them, but then... You, it, it kind of slips your mind and you don't think about it the rest of the day and you end up not sharing that with them. That was, the, that was potentially the opportunity to give somebody a prophetic word that would have built them up and encouraged them in Jesus. And so look, this is something I want us to grow in openness to, both, both in myself and both as a, a church. I, I want to encourage you to start praying, God, who can you put on my heart to encourage at community group and at the Sunday gathering? God, please give me somebody to encourage and and please give me something specific to encourage them with. And when God does that, I I want you to be bold enough to take that step and share that with them. Now this is not a, thus says the Lord, God told me to tell you this, but it is this sense of, hey, God put you on my heart this week and, and I really feel like I'm supposed to share this with you. I'm not sure exactly what this means or what this might mean for you, but but here it is. Uh, often, prophecy is just a word in season that somebody needs to hear even if you didn't know how bad they needed to hear it. Sometimes it personalizes God's word for them in a way that just hits them right where God intended it to hit them and right where they needed for encouragement. Sometimes it's a word that the entire church needs to hear. Uh, and Paul in chapter 14 is going to tell us that that needs to be weighed and judged by the elders. And so, look, when we're back here for prayer during the response, if you feel like God has given you a prophetic word to build up the church, I want you to bring that back to us and share that with us. Now again, we're going to talk more about how this functions in the Sunday gathering in chapter 14. Paul gives instructions on what is supposed to happen, and so we may not bring that forward to the entire church, but we are going to weigh that and, and consider like, is this something that God has given you uh, that, that you or, or us should share to help build up the church? And so I want to encourage you to seek this gift. Again, Paul tells us in 14, earnestly desire to prophesy. I mean, listen, no one in this room suffers from getting too much encouragement. No one in this room, like we all need more of it. And so I want you to earnestly ask God, God, who can I encourage? Who can I use? God, would you give me this gift to build someone up? Because God uses this to build up the church. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a dry season spiritually where, yeah, I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying, but man, God feels so distant and it feels like I'm in a desert and everything feels so dry and I'm praying, I'm asking God, please get me out of the desert. Why do you feel so far away from me? Why, 
uh, is everything so dark right now? And uh, God, the way God answers that prayer is usually not from some kind of lightning bolt from the sky where I all of a sudden feel better. Usually it's through one of you giving a word of encouragement that maybe you didn't realize how bad I needed in that moment. Or it's getting to see your faith in Jesus and how God is growing you. It's something that God uses to encourage me like, yeah, the gospel's true. God's grace is the best news in the universe. God really does love me. The way that God meets our needs is usually like that. Not through some lightning bolt from the sky, but through other people here in the church, through other parts of His body. And so, you know, you need wisdom on a decision, and so you seek wise counsel, and somebody's given the gift of uh, words of wisdom to speak into your situation and give you wise counsel. You have a practical need that needs to be met, uh, and someone who has the gift of service or the gift of helping steps up and meets that need. God meets our needs primarily through His church, so it's crucial that we strive to use our gifts to do that. And so, how, and so the next important question is, uh, how do we determine what our gifts are? If it's this important that we use them, how do we figure out what they are? Well, one of the unhelpful ways that many of us got if you grew up in church is a spiritual gifts test. Did anybody take one of these? Uh, no shame if you did. I did too. My hand's up too, so don't be afraid. Okay, I, y'all are liars. Uh, So if you took one of these, uh, again, no shade. Uh, If you didn't take one of these and you don't know what I'm talking about, this is basically like a personality test that's just geared towards helping you find out what your spiritual gifts are. Now, I'm sorry if I'm going to offend you here, but that's just not the most helpful way uh, to determine what your spiritual gifts are. The reason why is because our spiritual gifts are not something we figure out on our own. They're something we figure out in community. You're not the best person to evaluate what your gift is because it's not primarily for you. It's primarily for others, and we also often don't have the best self-awareness. For example, like you might think that you're a leader who has the gift of leadership, but if you turn around and nobody's following you, you probably don't have the gift of leadership. Like You may think that you're gifted as a teacher, but if you teach and everyone leaves more confused and with more of a headache than when they came in, you, you may not have the gift of teaching. You might think you have the gift of administration, but if everything you touch gets left in mass chaos, you probably don't have the gift of administration. And honestly, too often we can be like those people on the first rounds of American Idol, where no one has just loved us enough to sit us down and tell us, hey, you just don't have it. You just can't sing. And, and so we keep running on in ignorance, thinking we're awesome at this thing, Uh, when we're not. And so our gifts are not best figured out individually. They're best figured out in community. You need other people to be able to speak in and see and talk about what they see God doing in and through you. And so how do you do this? Well, I'm borrowing this framework uh, from J.D. Greer because I've just found it so helpful over the years to help discern this in my own life and discern this in the lives of others, help others discern this. And so Uh, He says that your spiritual gifts are usually where your abilities, your affinities, and your affirmations meet. Uh, They're all A's because he's Baptist too. Uh, Abilities, affinities, and affirmations. Abilities refers to uh, what you're good at, what you have talent for. Sometimes this is what you're just naturally good at. Sometimes this is something that you become gifted and talented at after you become a follower of Jesus. Either way, 
it's a gift that God gave you. Because God made you. He made you with your natural talents and abilities uh, as well. Affinities refers to desires and passions. What you're passionate about. What really moves you and drives you. Uh, affirmation refers to other people speaking in to your life and, and affirming that you really do have this gift and God really does work through you when you exercise it. And so if you don't know what your gifts are, just start serving and see what God does in and through you. Maybe you develop an affinity for it and, and, and people begin to point out how God is using you in it. Maybe you find out that you do have an ability to do this thing really well. This is how you find out your gifts. Is you just try to meet needs in the church community and abilities and affinities and affirmations begin to merge in your life. And since we find out our gifts in community, that means we, not just need, we need to not just be concerned with what our own gifts are, we need to be concerned with calling out and encouraging others about what we see God doing in them, seeing the ways that God has gifted them. Again, sometimes these gifts are God's supernaturally empowering talents and abilities that you already have. Something, sometimes it's something new that God gives you when you become a follower of Jesus. But either way, we are meant to grow in these gifts. You're often not given the full capacity of that gift at the beginning. You have to step into it and begin to exercise it if you want to see God grow you in it as you use it. Like, I don't know of anyone who's a gifted teacher who just crushed it the first few times that they taught. I don't know of anyone who's a gifted administrator that had it all figured out the first time they tried to solve a problem. Paul tells Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy to fan into flame the gift that God has given him. He tells him to immerse himself in exercising his gifts and developing his character so that everyone would see his progress. And so here's what I want to call us to. Again, chapter 14, if we want to see the Spirit more visibly at work in our church, we should strive to excel in building up the church. Not generally a fan of Gandhi, uh, but when it comes to spiritual gifts, I think we can translate what he says over and it applies really well. He said, uh, you should be the change you want to see in the world. And while it's really idealistic for the world, it's probably not going to happen if you try to do that. I do think it translates over well to say, if you want to see the Spirit more actively at work in our church, man, then be the change you want to see in the church. Don't, don't think this is somebody else's problem and responsibility. Make it yours. If you see a need, step up and meet it, and maybe you'll find out that God has really gifted you to do this. And you have gifts, we need you to step into using them. You have a gift, and we need you to use it. I mean, don't you... Don't, I, I long to see more of God at work visibly and actively in our church. And don't you? Let me pray for that. God, thank you for your word. And thank you that you do this. That you give us gifts. And you give us diverse and different gifts to serve the body. Thank you that unlike in the world, where your merit is judged by how competent and capable you are. God, you've made it so that each of us is indispensable in the body. So God, give us the grace to believe that. Give us the grace to live like that. Would you make us a church that is filled with members seeking to care for one another? God, would you make us as a church a people who are concerned for one another, 
who truly, when one member suffers, we all suffer together. When one is honored, we all rejoice together. God, would you help us to see that our life is to be poured out in service here so that our brothers and sisters might be built up. And God, would you help us? Would you help us to earnestly desire to grow in these gifts and exercise them and use them so that your church here at Veritas would be built up and served? God, please do it among us. Please help us. Please do this. God, I do pray that that coming out of these weeks, we would be a church that's marked by a humble but eager and intense pursuit of how we can use our gifts to serve one another. Would you make it so among us as a church? I pray that you would. In your name, amen.